All right, Pittsburgh, this is the Death Star here, and you are listening to MMA Fancast. Tune in. Oh, baby, what time is it? You're listening to MMA Fancast. Here are your hosts, Jim Mooney and Luke Payson. Welcome to the show. Today we have Kyron Bowen, Bullseye Bowen, I should have said. Welcome to the show. What's up, my man? So I'm super excited. This is actually the first time uh, MMA Fancast is doing a video uh, chat, so thank you for yeah, being my yeah. first on that. So we'll, hopefully no this doubt. goes, hopefully this goes swimmingly well. Um, but you are fighting exactly a week from now, um, which we're recording this Tuesday night, and exactly a week you're going to be fighting on week four of the Tuesday night contender series, which is exciting. Uh, let's start there. When did this come together? When did you know you were getting on the show, and how excited are you for it? Um, I'd say came together maybe about two months ago. I was already scheduled to fight, and then I'm uh, I had this fighting this weekend, and like three days before that fight, they offered me, you know, and so I had to say yeah. And luckily, I knocked that guy out in the first round too, so I came out healthy, ready for the next one. And as far as excitement, I'm just zoned in, man. I'm ready. I'm uh to get it done. I'll be a little bit more excited at the end. I try to you know keep the beast in, but I'm sure I'll go crazy immediately after. Of course, of course. I actually was surprised to see that you had fought in June, uh, which is was yeah. in Oklahoma. And so yeah. that, talk to me a little bit about how that worked with the pandemic. Obviously, most fights have been stopped. So how did it come together that you were able to fight in Oklahoma for the MMA Extreme Fighting Championships? Man, I'm... Um... Oklahoma's just been great about it, man. They've been allowed, you know, some shows to keep going. They allowed MMA to kind of, they added a few guidelines, but still allowed us to compete and stay active. Um, uh, yeah, man, it's, um, at first, you know, everybody's questions were in the air, but we went to another show in Oklahoma City, actually, and it was smooth sailing. So we decided, you know, to try to do it in a little smaller town, and they put the show together and got me on it. Oh, that's fantastic. And like you said, you finished, you had a knockout in round one, how much in the back of, the, of your mind was there, hey, if I get hurt or if any, even if you win, but get hurt, did you have that thought going in? How did any of that work? Oh, man, it took me for a ride, let me tell you. But when it's time to fight, I just, you know, I'm able to always to lock it in and zone in. But building up to it, it took me all over, man. There's, you know, a million things going through my head. But I'm, um, you know, when it comes to fight, I'm a fairly safe fighter. I know how to protect myself. Um, yeah, it came out clean, but yeah, driving me crazy, man. It was wild. Oh yeah, absolutely. Did your Just coaches? Did your coaches tweak anything? Did they kind of say like maybe take a technique away or say avoid that? Just as far as risk goes. No, not necessarily, man. You know, I'm what, now I'm 13 fights into my pro career, and um, I've luckily never been seriously injured due to. I would say, you know, partially to my style, I started off in real authentic, great jiu-jitsu, so I'm real able to defend myself to an extent. But, yeah, man, there weren't anything really, any changes up. They just told me, hey, you know, it's on the line, man. Stay safe and let's get out of there. Nice and easy. And, of course, it's nice that you got that win. Do you, do you think it works better now to be on a bit of a roll versus not having fought since October because of COVID? Like, let's say June didn't happen. Do you think this puts you – better to be fighting next week since you've had such a recent fight? Um, I think, you know, it gives me, I'm still a little fresh, man, but me and my guys, we live this lifestyle and only take me days off. Whether I fought or not, I was still in the gym getting hard rounds in. So, 
you know, I didn't, you know, I'm always fresh, man, ready for it. Great. Now you had mentioned your pro career and obviously prepping for this, I looked into it a little bit and you have a, you're, you're on a seven fight win streak, which is incredible. But now I'm going to bring up a little bit of the Rocky start to your career, just so I can get your feedback, you know, so you know this, but you started out in your first six fights, you had two wins and four losses. And then as soon as that first six fights were over, you've been on a seven fight win streak ever since. And obviously your tour record now is nine and four. So when you look at those first six fights combined, what do you think that process was like for you? Growth, man. I took those, um, uh, I like to consider them championship lessons, you know, early in my career where some of these guys, I see them making those mistakes I made in the first few. So, you know, it just worked out for me. Honestly, obviously on the paper, it doesn't look the best, but when I get in that ring, it shows now, you know, I don't fret. I mean, put me in the worst positions. It's, I've lost before, you know, what are you going to do? And you <laughs> do it to me again, I'm here and risk it all. Absolutely. And so what kind of came together because it is about a learning process. So obviously that's part of it. I remember when Anderson, the spider Silva, but you know, before his um, decline, he was smashing everybody, but he always had those two losses back in the day. Yeah. But that wasn't where he was then. So what do you think kind of turned the corner for you? And obviously seven fight win streak is big. There's guys fighting on the Dana White contender series uh, with only one, one win streak, you know, so how did you kind of put together such a nice win streak? Well, my coach told me one thing, and it changed from there. All he said was, stop trying to submit people. <laughs> that, really it? that was it, man. He said, hey, no more submissions. You always get great positions. You know, you do your thing, but let's throw more punches. Let's get more violent, man. Let's get in there and call some blood. I'm tired of seeing you choke people out. I want to see you knock them out. And since then, I'm just knocking them out. <laughs> That's all wow. it was, just a, a flip of the switch, man. You know, my coach has been in the UFC, the top of the level, and he just told me what I needed to do. They like violence, and we just honed in on that and to, mixed in with my jiu-jitsu style, my good grappling, and with just more ground and pound, more viciousness, standing up. And that's literally what it was, man. He said, no more submitting people. I only want you to knock people out. And it only took a couple times to find that confidence. And then, then you've just been rolling since then, which is cool. Shout out, obviously, to your coach and also recognizing, yeah, but also recognizing that MMA is really all about finding the style that works for you, you know, and, and that's, that's what's valuable there. And so speaking of style, you're a tall, longer guy, um, and you're fighting at 185, but you're also fought at welterweight. So where are you on that balance of, of weight? You know, I walk around, you know, like 182 right in the middle. So it's easy for me to make 170 and it's not anything to drink a little bit of water and make 85, you know. So personally, I wish I could fight both, you know, keep alternating. I have a title at 185 in St. Louis and a 70 title down here in um, uh, Oklahoma. So, you know, personally, I wish I could fight both. But we're looking at 70, obviously, you know, the, the smaller whatever weight I can make, the better. But it's up to me. I, I like fighting at the way I walk around at. Yeah, and to go in that a little bit, because I think it, more, even just in the last five years, guys like Robert Whitaker bumped up mm-hmm. from 70 to 85 and went on a tear, obviously, since lost the title. But he was a great example. Even Cowboy Cerrone did it, said he'd never go back to 55, then he went back to 55. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously, there's weight cutting's a big deal. Um, this yeah, fight man. is at 85. Was this your preference, given that this is your big uh, your big audition to Dana White? 
I don't know, I have a preference, man. They could have asked me a heavyweight and I'd have been like, hell yeah, I just like to fight, bro. Dude, That's just what it is. You know, outside of the weight class, it's still two men with two hands and, you know, the eight limbs, whatever you want to call it, man. That's all I see it as, no matter the size. There's another fight, man. Well, speaking of the eight limbs reference of Muay Thai, and you said that you come from a jiu-jitsu background, what was it like learning, um, let's say, Muay Thai, and how has that connected to what you're doing now? Well, um, I've actually been training Muay Thai just as long as jiu-jitsu. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they've always kind of gone hand in hand, but just the favorite style is always grappling. Okay, all right. So good that you've trained. When you think about MMA currently, most of the people coming into the UFC have trained mutual things. You know, they, they mixed everything up to beginning. Obviously, yeah. we're 25 years into the UFC. When did you first realize that you were going to need to co-train or mix train versus some of the older style when it was just one style i'd like to say when i took my first amateur loss i went i went on a four and oh on a win streak and then on my fifth fight i lost to a wrestler just purely because i was trying to submit him off my back you know he didn't damage me too much i controlled it but obviously he's on top so that's what it scored from and from that moment i knew okay we got to change this up we got to get standing up more and just stay on top yeah absolutely that's that's something that i think it's hard to say a weakness of a pure, like, Gracie-style jiu-jitsu, but that is a weakness if you're, if you're off your back too much. And in um, a time limit, yes. And in a, yes, and in a time limit. And I would also say without the gi. There's a lot of options, mm. as you know, with collar ties and chokes that can come up from the bottom that can oh, work yeah. and at least help you get out of the situation. Um, and even a, even a legend like Damian Maya, who I would say is obviously the most successful sort of pure jiu-jitsu guy. He doesn't spend a ton of time on his back. He spends more time trying to put people in bad positions. Yes, sir. He understands the game, man. That's just kind of like the transition I made. I'd like to think I'm a little more strike, standing up, you know, striking favorite now. But nonetheless, I still got it in my back pocket, but I know what to do with it now. Absolutely. And given the fact that you're going to be um, participating on Dana White Contender Series, how closely have you been following the other fights are you picking up anything that might be a pattern in Dana White because the Dana White contender series aren't as seasoned vets as maybe people that are fighting you know Daniel Cormier and Stephen Wojcik just happened to uh UFC 252 had kind of the best are you looking at your your fellow competition Oh, yeah, for sure. I just literally got done watching the Contender Series tonight. You know, I'm uh, shout out my boy Matt Dixon, man. He's a great fighter out of Oklahoma, just over the border, took a tough loss. But nonetheless, man, I'm, I'm watching them every Tuesday. And what I'm seeing, man, is this – I don't know what these guys do in the gym if they don't spar hard. You know, I'm not saying everybody should, but I'm seeing them uh, almost like a little timidness, like they're worried about it, man. You know, they're, I'm not going to say they're holding back, but I don't see that full release, you know. Sure, that is something, you know, I think overall the Dana White Contender Series is wonderful. I think it's a more pure series than, let's say, a tough where it's all about the drama. There's no drama. You get to train yeah. with your own gym. Compare that a little bit. What would it have been like, do you think, if you did eight weeks on tough versus being able to be at your home gym and train with your typical guys? Um, it just, um, on that one, man, I don't know if tough pays. So that would be a little different, you know. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, if it was eight weeks getting paid to go train, man, that would be a blast. You know, okay. go train some of the other top levels in the world. But, I'm, uh, man, I got some of the best guys in the world in my right. gym, man. So it's 
I'm pretty confident I could take it all to the top with just the people around me without going off to these, you know, thousand dollar camps and paying people thousands of dollars hold mitts. I'd rather pay my boys that have been there and done it, you know. But both of my coaches have been at the literal top of this game. And because I love bringing up Stipe, he's from near yeah. Pittsburgh. He's from Cleveland. And one thing Shout I'm out Stipe. Yeah, absolutely. We got a we got a fanboy on Stipe a little bit, but one, yeah. one of the things that he's always made clear was that he was going to stay in his gym from Cleveland that really wasn't strong styles, not really well known. They're not really, they don't have, they're not a huge gym where people fly in from around the world. So what's it like seeing that at the best level, people can be productive and champion level just with the gym they have around them? What confidence does that give you to say, hey, when you make it in the UFC, you're going to keep the gym the way it is now? I love it, man. Uh, it gives me major confidence. It just feels like reality, man. People think they need all this and that, this and that, but early all they need is some good training partners and this and that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and they get outside of that. They go spend all this money and then they end up, you know, giving so much away and come back broke and they wonder what happened, man. And, man, you got to get the right people around. You got to go up there with the family and not abandon that, in my opinion, you know. Well, sure, and obviously fighters have different experiences depending on what's going on in their life. But I do think a consistency can make a big difference. We've seen it, obviously. Right. And so um, let's talk a little bit more about your coaches. You've been mentioning them, but you haven't mentioned their names. So let's bring their names in and kind of like, you know, what their styles are, what their experiences have been. Well, I'm uh, I'm, uh, one of my coaches actually is Brian Foster. He's a coach slash teammate. But Brian's fought in the UFC all over the world, man. He has – 10 or 50 professional fights now you know he's fought in literally everywhere and his finish rate i think is like 98 percent dude and then i'm um yeah this is phenomenal man i still think he's one of the best in the world besides me you know but uh, (laughs) and then mark do you know who mark fiori is uh say the last name again fiori i i don't think i probably should know but it's not coming off the top of my head so we were at the UFC Apex Center, right? And I'm, uh, they have a legends wall where there's Hoist, GSP, all these guys. And I'm, uh, my coach is probably the only one in the world that could say he's coached against and beat three of the five best fighters in the world. GSP, Hoist wow. Gracie, uh, BJ Penn. Mark Fiore was actually Matt Hughes' coach throughout his whole title run. Um, oh, there you go. Um, yeah, man. He's coached Robbie Lawler, the hit squad. He was, if you remember that name at all, he was yeah, actually yeah, sure. the head, he was the head coach of there. So, and He's coming directly to help me reach the top now. It's like I don't have all these distractions. He's here for me, man. And having somebody like that behind you, it's you don't even question it. You know he knows what it takes. No, yeah, that's incredible. And it's also, uh, since we were kind of fanboying on State Bay a little bit, it's great to see that Matt Hughes is recovering very well. Yeah, I just saw him this Saturday, man. Oh, really? Yeah, he came in. Um, uh, yeah, he came to town, man, and uh, we hung out for a little bit. And it was real cool, man. He is recovering real well. Still, um, uh, got some good jokes in him, talks a little shit. But, oh, that's yeah, it. That's uh, wonderful. Yeah, it no. is, man. It's so refreshing, man. He's such a good guy. It's happy to see him moving. You know, getting uh, back to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they uh, they did a documentary on him. I think about a year ago, and it really brought up the fact that the best fight you'll ever have in your life is for what matters. It's not in the cage so much. It's the people around you. You're, in his case, his wife, his kids, his life. You know, So there's more important things going on than just what you do in the cage, obviously. Your why, yeah. Right. Exactly, the why matters. What you do matters. And so let's get to that a little bit. Why, why do you 
do MMA? What's kind of exciting or what's kind of the meaning behind you getting in a cage? Well, for me, I'm, uh, it started with training and then I'm, uh, just wanted to change my life, man. I, like, I grew up in Springfield, Illinois, and that's just north of Matt Hughes' hometown. And I had, you know, legends always training around me. And I see these guys literally changing their life. And I was just some punk, you know, I got kicked out of school and I was like, shit, what am I going to do now? So I ended up going to the gym, man, and realized, man, this could be your avenue to get it started to really change your life, you know, to, so my siblings don't have to literally fight for a living, you know, don't have to go through more, man. It's about the family, man. It's about the legacy and the future. Well, that is a beautiful thing. I'm, I'm happy to hear that your story is taking you someplace that's, that's great to see that. What have you learned the most about yourself in the journey of training and also competing, like self-discovery type things? Learned I'm relentless, man, mm-hmm. in all aspects, not in just the violent aspects, but when it comes to getting something done, man, I'm very humble. I take my time. I try to learn as much as I can. I'm not afraid to ask questions. And it's given me so much confidence knowing that I'm, I'm forever in this growth process, man. And I, I want to stay there. Absolutely. That's the classic expression. The journey is the destination, right? That there always has to be yes. appreciating the, the process and understanding that there's not, you're not finished learning, both as a yeah, fighter never, and never, as a never. person. Right. Absolutely. That's, a, that's incredible there. Given what you mentioned about trying to be financially stable and all that, are you at the point where you're full-time training or are you still having like a side job or a bivocational? Uh, man, dude, I've still been working, you know, damn near full time throughout this camp, but I'm, uh, I'm blessed enough to have a good job that also gives me time off for training. So okay. I'm still making my money on my job, but it hasn't interfered with full time training. I'm still training two to three times a day, 530 a.m., 11 a.m. and 530 p.m. And most times I stayed till the seven class, you know, so. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'd say in that case that you're very blessed to be able to do both because I think. Yeah, man. At this stage in your in your fighting career, it's good to have what you could say guaranteed money or consistent money yeah. coming in, right? Um, and yeah, that's, yeah. that's something that's big. I was actually doing um, – I was watching some stuff on Mighty Mouse, and he had already defended his belt in the UFC three times before he gave up his full-time job, which was crazy to think that, that he was at that yeah. level. But one of the reasons why he wasn't is because he's like, hey, man, I can depend – on this job, I can depend on my everyday job versus the fighting game can go up and down. So where do you think, what do you think it'll take to be at the point where you feel comfortable going full time? Or are we not there yet? Yeah, I mean, man, I feel like I'm full time now. You know, I don't want work interfere too much, but I'm, uh, I can't really say right now, man, I'm a workhorse, you know, I'm an entrepreneur in all aspects. This is a job and I also capitalize through personal training and, you know, a bunch of privates and outside of my job. I have probably like four or five different incomes, man. I'm always on it. Even if I wasn't working there, man, on my downtime between sessions, I'm, uh, you know, figuring something out. Hey, what's up? Can we um, uh, get some work in one way or another? Sure, absolutely. And I was going to ask you a question about the uh, the way the UFC has gone with fighter sponsorships not being able to wear their own shorts, oh, yeah. but I won't put that – out there on you right now because you're trying to get in the UFC but but it, you do bring up the value of being creative and how you get income and how you run it as a business you know and, and make yourself you are the business you're in the business of you and you have to find ways to capitalize on that throughout your career I think in the best ways possible just like when 
Um, everybody was talking about DC retiring. We know he's going to go into broadcasting. That's a business he can do. Some people go into other types of fields. So it's obviously too early. I know Al Quinta is a great example of somebody who went into real estate and felt like that was more consistent, making him more money. So like there's a lot out there and you mentioned the word entrepreneur. So I guess this is an off fight topic, but Who's your favorite entrepreneur? Do you watch Shark Tank? Are you an Elon Musk? Mark Cuban, my dude, Mark man. Cuban. He's a gangster, bro. Yeah. So man, he I, keeps it all the way real, man. He just, he's raw and to the point. And he just seems like a real dude that I could have a conversation with. Um, I study him quite a bit. And um, since, you know, his college days of getting his own um, uh, company started all the way he's at now, man. And he's just, he just kept it real the whole way. He never seems fake. You know, when he's talking, he sounds relatable. And, that's what it is, man. I'm trying to keep it real throughout the whole way. I'm not trying to sugarcoat anything about it. Well, that's that's great. And actually, Mark Cuban has had an interest in MMA on and off over the years. At one point, he was going to yeah. start his own. He was going to start his own competitor towards the UFC. It never really worked out. But very interesting. You brought that up, and it's also great. I think one of the reasons why I like doing these podcasts are because um, MMA fighters are athletes. They're professional athletes, just like let's say baseball, but they don't always have that same image. So Mm -hmm. how important is it for you over the next so many years of your career to kind of continue to bring, I'd say the revolution of fighters that are more business minded fighters versus just the Chuck Liddell's who want to throw down in the street. Yeah, man, it's a hundred percent vital, man. Yeah. We're on my professional athletes, but at the same time, it's not like we went to college for this. Yeah. Our college was in the gym. Right. So it's uh, it's a little bit more harder for us to stay educated and get on top of things as, you know, as far as keeping the income outside of fighting going. But it's so necessary. You have to as a fighter. You got to capitalize on, you know, your own rise to get other things going. You can't just, well, I can't, it's a strong word, but I just don't think, you know, you should rely just on fighting. Sure. Yeah, that's a great way of saying it. Some people might just rely on fighting, but. Yeah, and then you lose a few fights and. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You get too tied up to one or two fights going one way or going the other. Um, So that's great. Speaking of fights going one way or the other, um, you've got this nickname bullseye, which is wonderful. Um, What are your predictions or your mindset going in uh, to this fight a week from today? First round knockout. First round knockout. Well, I love the prediction. It's great. First round, first round I don't see it going any other way, man. It, it's not a first round knockout. It's a second round knockout. It's not a second round. It's a third round. But we're not going to the judges either way. And what's that like knowing, because every once in a while this comes up at the UFC level where you can see the last 30 seconds or 20 seconds of around somebody's just trying to sort of, uh, you know, get to the bell and somebody else is trying to finish it. What What mindset do you have when – when you're down to the wire and how do you keep that finishing mindset? It's never over, man. I've been in the worst positions in the first round, got up, got to finish worst positions in the second and third. I've been in the deep waters and came out. So it's, I've literally been there to know it's possible. You know, I've had 20 seconds left in a fight losing is for my 185 title, 20 seconds left in the fight, you know, and it was all on, Hey, let's make it happen, bud. And, you know, I exploded. Let's go, let's go, let's go in my own mind and made it happen. So yeah, man. Well, that's a great experience that you had. What's the expression? Um, you don't have to tell me it's easy. Just tell me it's possible. Like you were saying, it's, mm-hmm. and it's not that it's been easy, but you know that it's possible to change a fight completely on its head. Yeah, man. Um, it's fighting. It's, it's the reality of it. If you think it's one-sided, then hey, be careful, but don't get so sure, you know. 
I say first round knockout, but I know the reality of this. You know, I know the reality of this could happen, that could happen. Sure. But I know what I want to do and what I'm going to do my best to do, and it's that. Well, absolutely, and it's been it's been incredible having you on the show. Uh, let's get to thank yous and shout outs. You mentioned your coaches, but I always think it's important. Uh, you'll see that on the mic in UFC fights. Some of the guys that stay humble and focused are always quick to thank people, and some of the guys. Uh, let's say Conor McGregor, for example, but I'm just picking on him. Some of the guys that kind of get into uh, maybe an unhealthy way of thinking, it becomes uh, not gratitude filled. So who are you? Yeah. Who are your big shout outs? Man, my big shout outs are to um, everybody that shows me love, man. Shout out to Ed. Shout out to my lady. I'm, uh, shout out to my team. Shout out to everybody around me. My mother, especially, man. That's my lifeline. If I need confidence or questions, I ring her up, and then just like that, man, she brings him back to earth. Well, that's beautiful. It's always great to give a shout-out to your mom. Shout-out to you, too, man. Shit. Well, thanks. <laughs> thanks. But, well, you know, family connection, when you think about it, is there's something to be said for people in your life that support you for fighting, which is great, mm -hmm. your coaches, your, your teammates. But, like, a connection to your mom, she supports you in your life, whether it's fighting oh, or man. not fighting. And I think that's sometimes uh, – I'm thinking back – to Cowboy Cerrone always talks about his grandma, right? That's his, hey, yeah, his grandma, grandma, grandma. But it also shows it's like because that's the person in his life that cares about him regardless of what he was doing. He could be doing anything to be his fan. So that, that's great that your mom's supportive of just you as a person. And I always yeah. think it's more important to care about who you are as a person. We've even seen that when you mentioned Matt Hughes. He talked about it post his accident that he he feels like he's public with this. He feels like he became a person he didn't really like during his fighting career. And since yeah, the he's accident, been he's been able it. to reflect, right? He's been able to reflect on who he is as a person. So shout out to him and his wife and his family and his recovery journey. But I think there's a lot that can be said for being connected to the people that matter in your life. So yeah. that yeah, is just... Yeah, that's that's where I'm. That's where I'm most blessed at, man. It's like you said, Matt, and you know, B and Mark, man, and those are the guys around me, the guys that have made those mistakes and are so vocal and honest with me that uh, you know I get it. There's, and even outside of that, that's where my heart is. So just to have that reassurance from them is just phenomenal, man. Well, absolutely. It'll be exciting to see you get your eighth win in a row next week. That's what's going to be happening. You bring in. Uh, the eighth win streak, keep that going. So we wish you the best next week, and hopefully we can have you on after the show uh, to talk about your experience. It'd be great to catch up with you. Yeah, man, I'd hope so, man. You know, we'll talk about this first-round knockout and, you know, which one, you know, which side it came from, which weapon it was. I can't Absolutely. wait for Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait to do it. So uh, thanks for being on the show. Everybody check out uh, Kyron. Uh, the bullseye. That's right. The bullseye. There it is. Uh, next yeah. week on Dana White Contender Series, week four. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, for sure, man. Hey, let's chat soon.